and welcome to the Creative Constitution podcast. Today I'm joined by a special guest, Wilfred LaSalle. Hello, Wilfred. How are Hello. you? Hello. How are you? How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Today's episode is all about uh, Wilfred's learnings over the course of making five films um, and all about post-production special learnings for filmmakers. So it's going to be a really interesting one. We're going to delve into a bunch of different topics. But first of all, Wilfred, give us a little bit of background on yourself. So I am from the Bronx, born and raised. Uh, I moved outside of the city about, I'd say, 10 years ago. I uh, have a law enforcement background. I'm a former New York City correction officer. I uh, worked on the infamous Rikers Island. Uh, for those of you who don't know, that's pretty, it's a pretty tough jail. Uh, <laughs> wow. And uh, I kind of dove into filmmaking back in 2019. I was, uh, I've always been a fan of movies. I've always loved the, the creative process of how a film is made. I was always fascinated with those kind of things. So uh, I got into it in 2019. I made my first short film titled Hilo. Uh, I had no idea what I wanted to do, but I just, you know, I just dove into it. And it was pretty, it was pretty intense because, uh, you know, it felt more like a music video to me, you know, looking back mm -hmm. now. But uh, it, the film was about 10 minutes and 44 seconds. But aesthetically, people loved it. They loved the soundtrack. They were like, you know, what? I thought it was an extended trailer. I'm like, no, it's a short film. Wow. And, uh, you know, then we, uh, you know, from here on in, we made Hilo 2, Hilo 3, Graves. Uh, and now we are working on our fifth film, which is titled Oculus, which will be out next year, April 15th, 2024. Wow, amazing. What made you sort of decide to make sequels or were, or prequels, whatever they were, like the one, two, three? Um, and were they all short films as well? So Hilo, yeah, Hilo was the first short film. And then I said, you know, I, I wanted to raise the stakes a little bit higher. And we made Hilo 2. Hilo 2 was about 32 minutes, maybe 33. Uh, and we actually, that was the first film that we got on Amazon Prime. So mm. that was a big accomplishment. Yeah, uh, for my cast amazing. and myself. It was it was pretty amazing. You know, I didn't even think I could get on Prime. And here I am, I get on Prime. And then the next film that was made was Graves, which is separate from the Hilo films. That was a that was my first full feature film. That film was about an hour and, and 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was pretty, pretty challenging because uh, it was very risky filming that film because uh, we film guerrilla style here. You know, we, yeah. uh, we film where <laughs> we just get up and we set up shop and... We just start filming. So Graves was very dangerous. A dangerous film to film. Yeah. Uh, that, then the next film was Hilo 3, which was an hour and 30 minutes. Uh, that was the third iteration of the Hilo saga and the conclusion of Hilo saga. And that was about an hour and 35 minutes. And uh, so it was two, two shorts, two features. And then now Oculus we're working on, which would be my third feature. That's aimed to be around an hour and 45 minutes and set to mm -hmm. be released in early 2024. So, yeah. That's amazing. So thank you. That's great because so many filmmakers keep making short films and then they never really take that leap to feature films. So it's great to see that you sort of went that that through that journey. What's some of the biggest sort of learnings that you've had from creating a feature film? Let's just talk about Hilo first. So you've got the short film versus the feature. What were the main differences between making both of them? Well, first of all, I'll tell you this. Filming is very stressful. I don't yeah. know if anyone really, you know, it, it could be very, very stressful. So I think a lot of people, when they go from a short to a feature, it's very challenging. You know, yeah. you have, there's so much more involved. There's so much involved just making a short film at itself. But to make a bigger film, 
uh, and have a bigger cast, it's, it's, it's stressful. And some of the challenges that I've had were scheduling. I'll be honest with you. I mean, it was very, very tough uh, scheduling and having so many different people on the same schedule. It's hard to get three people on a schedule. Can you imagine yeah. about 20 people in one scene? Oh, my scene? gosh. Yep. <laughs> so. I have similar experiences. It's so hard. Um, and then one person will call in sick or like another person will, I don't know, their cat will die or something. Like there's always something. <laughs> it's always something. It's literally always something. It's unpredictable, you know, but I guess that's the beauty and that's the journey of why we make these films. Uh, it's the unpredictability. It's the creativity that goes into it. It's your vision. It's everything that you want that you have here. I think the most important thing is having everything you have here, you know, writing it down and then seeing it out. I think that's the most fulfilling experience that you can possibly have as a filmmaker. Yeah, for sure. I love that. Um, there's so much creative vision and, and sort of the challenges that go along with that. As the director, did you also write those films as well? Did you have full control over the whole process? So I, I fully fund all of my films. So I have, I'm the screenwriter, I'm the director, I'm the producer. Sometimes I'm the cinematographer. <laughs> and uh, so I wear many hats. You can understand how stressful <laughs> and how much gray I might have in this hair. Uh, it, it, it can be quite, quite stressful, as I said before. But yeah, it, it becomes challenging when you take on a lot. But, you know, for me, I'm a perfectionist. So I want things and I want to have full control over my own vision. So therefore, like I don't have investors. I don't have any, you know, big production company backing me. It's my independent company, LaSalle Productions. Mm -hmm. And we fund everything. So uh I think that, you know, having that, it gives me the creative freedom to kind of do whatever I want, step outside the box and not yeah. be limited by anyone's limitations and saying, hey, you can't do this. You can't do that because, you know, but I like that's the whole reason I created this company was to have that freedom to also give the actors and actresses a platform in which we could just showcase their talents. How do you go about finding the funding for your films? I mean, uh, we don't really know the figures of sort of the films that you've done so far, but... What is your sort of strategy of like finding funding for the films, especially for features? And if you pay people as well, the costs add up really, really quickly. So how do you go about that with your company? So with my company, what I do is obviously we're a small company. I can't afford to pay the actors and actresses. So they're, they're basically contracted and they get paid through reels. So mm. any footage when they come on, they're paid through that. That's their, yeah. that's, that's their supplemental monetary payments. Uh, funding, I self-fund everything. So I work two jobs to fund these these films. Mm. Uh, a lot of people don't don't know that, and know, and a lot of people think you need a fancy a fancy budget. You need a million dollar budget. You don't. You just need the drive. You need to save up for at least one day of shooting. And yeah. as long as you start, you'll either find a way or you'll always find an excuse. That's just my my <laughs> way of thinking. That's so true. Um, I've self-funded everything and it's only really now that I'm starting to get a bit more interest from people wanting to support my projects. I think once filmmakers start to build a bit of a portfolio, it makes a big difference. Are you finding that at all with your films where now that you've got quite a repertoire, is it getting easier to get interest from other people to potentially fund your next film? Well, I'll tell you one thing. It's getting it's getting a lot easier to get more talent uh, mm. now that I've you know, it's funny when I first started this journey, people laughed at me. You know, at the time, I believe I was making about thirty five thousand dollars a year. And people told me, you know, I always learned this. If you want to kill a big dream, tell it to a small minded person. Yep. They'll kill your dreams. <laughs> and 
I basically, uh, now it's getting easy in the sense that people are seeing what I'm doing and saying, hey, you know, this guy's got something special here. You know, he's consistent. He's constantly, every year we make a film. Since 2019, every year we've put out a film. Wow. And I think the consistency and everyone seeing the quality when they see my trailers, they're like, wow, like it doesn't even look like an independent film. Like this looks like you have, like a friend of mine, he saw my films and then his buddy saw it. He's like, what kind of budget does this guy have? Does he have a million dollar budget, two million dollar budget? He's like, no, this guy is self-funded. Like he, he is the budget and he couldn't believe it because the films are shot very, very high quality. They're edited very high quality. So everything that you see that I put out is all self-funded. There are no, there's no, no financial backing. I'm the financial backing. So that's pretty, that's pretty much it. I mean, listen, my fiance is going to kill me because she like wants his house and I'm over here spending money on movies, but we're not going to tell how much the movies cost, but she has an idea and she's like, you know, you spend all this money on movies. You're crazy. You're weird. You're, what's wrong with you? I'm like, this is what I love to do. I think if you love something enough, you'll do whatever it takes when your back is up against the wall to make it happen. And I think that's what's kind of happened here with me. My back was up against the wall yeah. and I just always had a passion for it. So I decided, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go all in. And that's what I've been doing since. No, that's amazing. Super commendable. I think Thank so you. many people could take away, uh, you know, a bit of inspiration from that. I do agree. If you tell someone that's small minded or even is slightly jealous or envious or whatever, a big dream, they'll they'll kill it. They'll find some way to 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 lower oh, yeah. that spark. And the fun thing is definitely the hardest part, but you can make stuff for free. Like it's actually wild what you can get away with these days um, with the camera equipment, too. Um, what sort of cameras were you using? I mean, these days you can make something look amazing with just a phone. So I'm yeah. curious to know what sort of the, the, the production process was like for you and whether you edited your films as well to maybe lower some so of the costs. I, I, when I first started, I had no idea what I was doing. Like I told you, I just knew I wanted to make these films. So I had hired different cinematographers and different editors. I had worked with Max Bovin. He's a, he's a visual effects artist. He's great. He's uh he's also he's edited Hilo three and Graves. I work with Brian Visuals over here. He's amazing. He edited Hilo and Hilo two. So those guys were paid, you know. And the film I was when I first started, I was using a cell phone, you know, mm -hmm. just to make my short videos. And then as I've as I've learned the process, I just was watching like the cinematographer. I would just stand over his shoulder and see what he was doing. I'm like, wow, this guy's like watching how he uses the camera, where the camera needs to be. And then I ended up purchasing about $10,000 of equipment that I had no idea how to use. <laughs> I, I basically had to watch every YouTube channel you can think of to teach myself how to film, how to edit, because I had no clue. I just recently started around, I would say, Hilo 3 and Graves, like learning how to actually edit and really get into like, okay, this is how it's done. Because my fiance was like, you can't call yourself a production company if you don't know how to edit and use a camera. I'm like, you know what? You're kind of right. So <laughs> Fair you know, long, long story short, here I am with all this camera equipment and she's like, it's collecting dust. You got to learn how to use it. And for Oculus, I actually dove into Oculus and now I'm actually filming Oculus. I decided to take, you know, be, you know, be courageous and film it. I was scared at first, but I watched a lot of YouTube videos before mm. and they were very informative. YouTube teaches you everything. I'm pretty sure you know this, you know, I love YouTube. <laughs> I was on there yesterday yeah. trying to figure out how to improve sound on everything because like sound will kill a project faster than anything. And I've had experiences with that in my previous short film um, where like, you know, the sound just was not where it needed to be. And the quality of the whole thing just kind of goes down significantly. But in saying so, I, I understand, you know, you want to do everything as well. But there comes a time where you have to outsource some of the some of the different skills and such. So 
who was doing your sound? You know, did you have a lot of crew on set? What's the size of your crew on like your general production? What's been the, the case so far? So now I had started off with a crew of about four. I believe right now LaSalle Productions, as of this moment with Oculus, we have about 54 cast members and crew, oh, cast wow. and crew. Yeah. That is big. Yeah, it, it is very big. And I'll tell you this. So we have a lot of the cast members who are in the film. What they'll do is when they're not in a scene, they will come and I've taught them how to operate the boom mic. They will do script supervisor. I have Jack Caruso as a script supervisor. He's one of my cast members. I have Yanko Valentin Perez, who does the boom mic. I have Alfredo Avila, who's also a cast member who does the boom mic for me. So it's a buddy system here. We're really wow. a family. We really are a big family. I, I can't even tell you. We have group messages. I mean, we support each other in everything. So like I've built the family that I've never really had. I mean, it is, it is absolutely incredible what people can do, uh, when they come together to create something bigger than themselves. I think, I think it's truly remarkable if you ask me. Yeah, that's amazing. So you, you're using people that are, I guess, normally sometimes pigeonholed, you know, you're an actor, you just right. go and sit down in like that room when you're not being filmed and then you're doing the complete opposite where like you're yeah. actually using everyone and you're almost maximizing efficiency, I would say. And Absolutely. I love that. I'm, I'm, Absolutely. I'm a sucker for, for efficiency. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, we, it, listen, and it works because I have Tara Beavers, who's now the main actress in Oculus. She's playing a character called Zia Laney. She's the main character in the film. And we were doing a running scene. So mm -hmm. here I am in the back of a camera with the camera and I'm saying to my buddy, Jack, I'm like, Jack, we need to use your pickup truck. I want to get these running shots. So he's driving the car. I'm filming her. She's running to get that smooth gimbal shot. And it's just a buddy system. This is just what you do. You do it what you have, you know, and you make it happen. That's just what it is. It's just being innovative, being creative, finding ways around these kind of barriers and seeing just how much you actually want it. Because you're going to be tested every film that you make. You're going to be tested with any and every obstacle possible. You know, yeah. I'm sure you face those obstacles. You just yeah. overcome them. You know? Yeah. And you mentioned earlier that you, you, you shoot quite guerrilla style. So oh, yeah. does that mean you kind of um, like, let's talk about locations. So with the guerrilla style, obviously, you know, you could spend ages trying to get permits and, and <laughs> all and this other stuff. It's super it's expensive. It's so expensive. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's time consuming. Like, for example, in my first short film, I, I was really desperate for uh, a a courthouse because I really wanted to include that scene. Uh, but after emailing almost every courthouse in the neighborhood and nearby, no one got back to me. We just couldn't make it work. And eventually we got we got around it by like putting some MacGyver stuff together. But I'm interested to hear kind of what you do. So guerrilla style for locations. What does that look like for you? Do you just kind of run and gun it and just hope for the best that you don't get caught? What ha what happens? So I'll tell you what we did, what we do. Uh, for Hilo 3, we shot, we needed a jail. And obviously, we're independently funded. So we, our budget is no budget. So I went, a buddy of mine who is a custodian at a school, Jay Santos, he actually came up and he said, listen, you could film inside the school. I said, you know what? The school actually looks like a jail. Who would know what looks like a jail? Me, I worked in a jail. So I know. And we actually, for, the, for a jail scene in Hilo 3, we shot it inside of a school. And it looks like a legit jail. Oh, my I mean, gosh. That's how much improvise, that's how much like creativity, it, it just, when you have nothing and you're literally broke and you have no budget, you just start to get creative. That's just what it is. You start to get creative. You're like, you know, you have no choice. So in doing that, the audience was like, wait a minute, this is, how did he get permission to shoot in a jail? How, you know, 
who is this guy? Uh, you know, and another thing, we had Oculus. We're filming Oculus. You know, I met a friend of mine who knew a priest. I just happened to have dinner with the guy. We have actually we have breakfast in Connecticut. We had the same kind of interests. Next thing you know, he's like, listen, just pay the Con Ed bill. And I'll let you use the church. We got to film in the church. Just, oh just networking. Just networking. So Oculus, yeah, it's coming out next year. We got to film in a church. We filmed in Jersey. We filmed in uh, upstate New York. We filmed in all of these crazy locations. So if I'm looking for a certain aesthetic, I'll just Google it. I'll YouTube a location. And if you watch my films, you'll be like, how the hell does he get these locations? I Just do research. It's basically it. Do research. Get there early. And hope for the best. So, yeah, it's kind of like hope we don't get arrested, which is almost <laughs> happened twice in graves. So. Oh, my God. I <laughs> oh, mean, yeah. th these are great BTS stories that you can include in some like um, trivia things on IMDb and whatever. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think if you don't ask, you don't get. And I think it's so Correct. true for filmmakers. Um, I, I, I know that there's a bit of a balance because... You know, people like Quentin Tarantino will say, if you have access to a Mustang, a church and a, and, and a farm, you include that in your script. Whereas yeah. sometimes, you know, you could get away with, okay, I'm going to write in the jail, a courthouse and, and, and like a drug house or something, but then you don't have access to those things. Um, so what is sort of like your approach when you're writing the scripts? Because you've been writing all of your films. So do you incorporate what the resources you've already got? Or is that something that you sort of wing as you go and you're like, okay, we have to find this location. Both. Absolutely both. So we shot, it's funny. You mentioned a courthouse. We wanted to shoot. Hilo three has a, has a criminal defense attorney. He's kind of arrogant. He has kind of a Tony Stark, Iron Man kind of vibe to him. His name is uh, the actor who plays him is Yanko Valentin Perez. And the criminal defense attorney is Louis Estevez. We actually went to white Plains, white Plains, New York by us. It's a library. It looks mm -hmm. like a courthouse. We shot the exteriors of him coming out. So it looks like he's coming, gives the illusion that he's coming out of a courthouse. Well, so just to show you how go. innovative <laughs> we, we get here. Uh, but yeah, I write, when I write my scripts, I write them according to the resources I have. And honestly, when I wrote Oculus, I wrote a church, but it's the law of attraction. I have a vision board. So I just, I believe in the universe. I believe that if you, you ask for it and you put it out there, it'll happen and you do the work. So I wrote Oculus with, with the church. And then we ended up getting the church. It just worked out. Amazing. I love yeah. that. <laughs> well, let, let's talk about post-production now, which okay. in some ways is the hardest part of the filmmaking process. Because sometimes you can, you can run and gun things, you can wing it, you can guerrilla style everything while you're doing the film and making it. But then you get into the post-production suite, you're like, oh gosh, here we go, the trouble commences. It's also a very time-consuming process. So... I'd love to know, first of all, what are your thoughts on sort of the differences between a short film in post-production and a feature in post-production? Are they the same? Are they different? So they're, 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 they're the same, but they're both very different. So my philosophy when I, when I shoot before I even get to post-production is overshoot everything. You <laughs> always aim to overshoot. I always tell people, you don't cut corners, just overshoot it. I'll ask my actor, hey, listen, you want to do another one? They're like, yeah, let's do another one. I <laughs> overshoot everything. That's just me. Yeah. Uh, from a short film to a to a to a feature film, I'd say it's similar, but very. But it's it's also hard because when you have a feature film, uh, you're looking at B-roll. You have to incorporate soundtracks. You have to incorporate uh, pacing, timing. The editing process takes forever. I look at my. I I probably had the editor do about 126 edits. Wow. And I'm not even kidding you. And I mean, he wanted to kill me. I mean, <laughs> but he was paid very well. 
And, you know, it, it is time consuming. It's for me, I'm a perfectionist. So I'm always want to pick the best shots for the actors, actresses, reaction shots, emotion. You want to capture all of those small things that people don't see in a scene pacing, making sure that the cuts aren't abrupt. Uh, a lot of people, this, a lot of this stuff is overlooked. When people see it, they're just like, oh, you know, I'll just cut it. And they don't realize that reaction shots are very important. Mm. Uh, you know, pacing, uh, making sure that the emotion, that the, that the audience has a connection with each character and what their purpose is in the film. Uh, it, it's pretty much the same. Shorter films for me, yes, it's less time. But either way, Hilo took me about two and a half to three months to edit. Hilo won. And it, mm. it's only 10 minutes and 44 seconds because I have to, I'm like, I miss drone shots. I have to go get drone shots. I have to get pickup shots, B-roll shots, you know? It's yeah. endless because, oh, night shots. I have to get this. And it, it, you're never done. When you think you're done, you're just never done. I think that's just what it is, you know? Yep. And and, the, <laughs> and a feature film, obviously, is so much more time-consuming than a short film. I mean, even my short film at the moment, it's close to six months now, you know? Uh, but it sometimes happens because you run into troubles in the post-production process. You know, sometimes it just, things don't go the way you planned it. So I'd love to know sort of where you've had your main challenges and struggles throughout the post, the, the post-production process. So I've had issues where I've shot something. I didn't like it. And I went to go reshoot it. I said, I told the actors, I said, listen, I don't like how this came out. Let's reshoot it. Mm. And they were like, all right, no problem. You know, I've had things on set where post-production or during, I'll tell you, in the middle of production, we changed the script. I see the oh, LaSalle wow. Productions model is the script is never the script. A lot of people can't understand that concept. And what I mean by that is uh, we had a scene in Graves. We had Charles Alonzo, who plays Salvatore Marcello. He's the main villain in Graves. And we had Christopher Levine, who is a good friend of mine. He's also a cast member, but he plays Paolo Marcello, his brother. Mm -hmm. There was a line in there. And we, he kind of, we, we, we cut and I heard Charles, the actor, he, was, he said something like, I drink, I kill, I fuck. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I'm like, wait, what did you just say? He's like, no, I didn't mean to curse. I'm like, no, say that again. I said, but let's change the order. And he changed the order of it. And it became DFK mm. and drink, F, kill. And we used it in the script. We actually, we ran with that. Wasn't even scripted. And it turned out to be one of the biggest and best lines of the film where people saw this film. They were like, oh, my God, I love that line. That was just so good. So things happen on production and then post-production. I mean, it, like I said, I'm a perfectionist. If I don't like something, I tell the cast, listen, I need another shot. I want to do a pickup shot of this. They're usually very open-minded. Uh, yeah. And like I said, we've built a family. So that they trust my vision. They trust my, they trust my leadership. And they're like, all right, Will, we'll go do it. Let's do it. So... Everything and anything is going to happen when you're making films. And the more you make films, things are just going to happen. You think you get better, you do, but you never know. It just, things yeah. just happen. It's just filmmaking. That's right. And yeah. do you tend to reuse the same people over and over now? Because um, a lot of filmmakers struggle with finding crew and cast and, and sort of putting the pieces together. So the more films you kind of do, the more of, a, of an Avengers team, I call it, that you can sort of tap into. What what what's your go? Because you you like to mention family, so is the family oh, yeah. in every movie? <laughs> every movie, I reuse my actors and actresses, and I add on to the family. So everyone usually about eighty five to ninety percent of everyone comes back, and then I just add to that family. So I think that's essential, and I think that's one of the most important keys with my production: having it be a family. Everyone knows the goal. Everyone is very selfless. I've been fortunate enough to have such a group a great group of cast members. You know, as you know, this industry is all about ego. This industry is about 
you have a lot of narcissistic characters, a lot of personalities coming together. Most actors are like that. Some aren't. I've been fortunate enough to have such a group of amazing cast members come on, help me out through production, through through post-production. And mm-hmm. we've just built on that family. We've literally just built on it. And then every year before we watch the movie or before we even premiere it on like Amazon Prime or any of these networks, any of these social platforms, we have a premiere. We rent out a movie oh, like theater. like a private one. And then the cast gets to watch the film before it's even put out. So it's it's like a private screening and it's actually, it's actually incredible because everyone gives a speech oh, and they'll talk about amazing. their favorite moment. They'll talk about their favorite moment and say, you know, Will's crazy. You know, <laughs> you know he, the script is not the script. Some of the actors, you know, they hate that line. But, you know, it, it's, you know, it's funny to hear these stories when you hear them, you know, from their perspective of what their experience was with you. So I, I think that it's, it's essential in having the same core. If it works, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Just add to it. And that's what we are here at LaSalle Productions. We are one big family. And I can't, I can't tell you that enough. I mean, I've been, I've been blessed to have them because they're just so supportive and they're just amazing. They're amazing and they're so talented. So I do everything for them. I love it. I love it. I think the sense of family is something that I like driving in as well. Because the more you build this strong foundation, I think the better your films become as well. Because then when they're on set, they don't really feel like it's a job. You know, there is something beyond. There's something, perhaps a goal that everyone is working towards. And with LaSalle Productions and sort of the films that you've been making, what do you think has been the driving factor of getting people motivated to perhaps work for free or, or to spend their time and energy with you on your films? What's the, the main like goal or, the, or sort of the motivating factor that you've been incorporating? So one of the biggest things is pushing my actors to their absolute best. I demand 150% from them. And I think that they know that. And I emphasize to them that this is more about them. If I can get them emotionally invested and I can get them invested in the sense that this is a family and that what we're doing, we're trying to better ourselves. We started in the basement in, in the middle of Mount Vernon doing premieres. We started from nothing. Mm-hmm. We've literally built this company together. And without them, there would be no LaSalle Productions. I, I, I would tell you that now. The actors and actresses are the most important key in a production. Not the director, not, not anyone else, the talent. Because they're the ones bringing your visions to life. Yeah. So I have Christopher Levine who flies down from L.A. He left New York. He lives in L.A. now. He comes down. He doesn't get paid. He gets paid through reels. And he is invested. He's the main character in Oculus. And when you can have, I have actresses from PA, actors from Pennsylvania. They come down. And it's just gotten bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. And uh, the biggest the biggest part of this all is that they believe in the vision. They believe in what I'm doing so much that I can't let them down. So I push them to their absolute limits. I'm like, okay, we got to get them on Prime. Next, we got to get them on Tubi. We got to get them on Netflix. We got to get them in this film festival. I got to get media coverage. I got to, I will always push them as far as I can take them. And yeah. they always give me 150% on set. So how could I not? as a director, give them more when they give it to It's just, it's a give and take. And we feed off of each other. And it's just magical what happens when people come together to create something bigger than themselves. I think that is the key. That is the key to filmmaking. I don't care what anyone says. You have to also take criticism. You also have to listen to your actors and actresses. I tend to listen to them. I'll go to them and I'll say, hey, listen, hey, Tara, how do you feel about this? Hey, Jack, hey, Yanko, how do you feel about this? And they'll say, you know, Will, I don't like this part. I like this. Okay. 
no problem. Let's say it your way. Uh, you know, when you give them that creative freedom and you're not yeah. rigid with the script, it, you know, it allows them to now say, all right, you know what? This guy, he's given me the freedom. It allows them to invest more. They really, they really now feel like they're a part of something. And they say, you know what? He believes it. my word means a lot to him. And if you can get them to do that and believe what you're doing, you can get anything out of them. You can, you can literally get the best performances out of your cast. As long as you're willing to listen to them, take direction. And it's not just giving orders. A lot of people think being a director, you know, I like to always know what they're thinking. Hey, what do you think about the psychology? What do you think about this? Sometimes we'll be filming something and the actor would just do something off script and mm. I will not call cut. I tell them, nope, nope, don't call cut. Let them stay in it. And yeah. that's, that's, that to me is where the magic really happens. You know, I totally agree. I think, uh, I think people are, that are too stuck to their script sometimes miss out on really great miracles and like little opportunities that can happen during the filming process. Because sometimes, you know, it's hard to write dialogue the way that it would naturally come out or, an actor might come up with something amazing in that moment. And if you're just like, oh, that wasn't that line, and you call cut, you just, you might miss out on probably the best take uh, because there is that realism and the way that those characters might have actually reacted in that moment. So I definitely am on, on, on the same side with yeah. you there. Yeah, you take them out. If you do that, you take them immediately out. And now, yeah. you know, another thing is, I'll tell you one of the biggest things I've learned is... I never critique an actor in, in public. I live mm. by a phrase, you praise in public, you critique in private. If I have to give the actor a pointer, even if it's something like simple as a direction or something, I pull them to the side. I never do it in front of people. I think that is so important for, the, for just the respect, the respect aspect, and just for their own creativity that they don't feel like, hey, you know, you're kind of putting me, you know, they don't feel like you're, you're kind of like, you know, doing it in front of everyone. I yeah. think that's very, very important. Those are things they don't teach you in any of these fancy film schools. I never went to any fancy, fancy film school. Didn't, didn't, didn't know anything about filming. And, you know, it's things you learn as you go. I think that's, that's also uh, a big key factor for any future directors or any, you know, independent filmmakers. Always critique your actors and actresses in private and you praise them in public. That's, that's just key. I think it's really respectful to do that. And, and also, um, I've, because I act as well, I've been in a position where sometimes you do get criticized in public. And I think it kind of makes you a bit shy or a little embarrassed or it just changes your energy a little bit. It's like, mm -hmm. it's like when, you, when you get yelled at in public, it's like, oh, yeah. it, it like all of a sudden your like heart sinks a little bit, you know, and yeah. then your, your energy, your vibe is different. And I, I totally agree. Like, I think... I think actors can be really fragile and some actors take take things better than others. Some people will take it to heart. Um, and I, I think when you pull them aside and you kind of just go, you know, I really like this, um, but you can maybe improve on that. I think the best thing, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but it's called the shit sandwich um, where you give something good. You put the criticism in the middle and then you end with something good as well. So I yeah. think delivering a shit sandwich is probably the best way to criticize yeah. people because it is still yeah. gives them something positive to think about. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> like, listen, I have actors that have come on and they'll give me, you know, they'll give me an, an idea and I'll say, listen, hey, that's a great idea. Unfortunately, it doesn't work for this scene. But I'll tell you what, maybe we can use it later. And I will, you know, I'm a man of my word. I'll say, you know what, let's use it later. Even if I don't use it in production, even if it doesn't make it, you give them, you, at least you give them that. Because if you give them that, 
then they're willing to give you so much more in return. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And then you mentioned about sort of going for Tubi and Amazon Prime and such. Has there been a, a requirement for paperwork and such and difficulties along the lines of, you know, when the family gets involved, sort of, what have, you been, what have been your learnings with like the paperwork and dealing with friends and family and, you know, people on the, on the crew and the cast uh, for those distribution models? What's, what's been required? So we could talk about Amazon Prime. For Amazon Prime, I, if for those of you who don't know, any filmmaker... You don't have to go through an aggregator or a middleman. You can go through Video Prime Direct. You can upload your film directly to Amazon Prime. And what that does is that there are requirements. You have to have a certain poster ratio, uh, two posters, one vertical, one horizontal. Your film has to have a certain level of quality. Uh, you have to also buy captions. You can buy them from Rev or third parties. Those are some of the requirements for Prime. Uh, and pretty much it takes about two or three weeks for them to upload the film, to accept the film. They have to review it. They'll tell you if the image is padded, if they'll, any, any error messages, you'll get them. And then they'll tell you to fix them. Uh, with Tubi, we, we just submitted Hilo 3 engraves to Tubi. Tubi has been very, very hard. Let me just tell you this. So we, there's a, there's a company, you can cut the aggregator out. It's called Film Hub. They pitch to about, I want to say, I don't, don't quote me on this, about, 36 different titles, including Peacock, Hulu, uh, they, they, Peacock, Hulu, uh, Tubi. They have a couple of different, uh, basically, platforms that they they service. But basically, they want it at least like seven different poster sizes. And what happens is they have what's called QC, which is quality control. If you fail QC with Film Hub for Tubi three times, you can't upload your film. Wow. Yeah, so it's pretty intense. Like, you have to make sure that you are... Uh, you're paying attention to the aspect ratios. And if you look at, like I was looking at YouTube, I was looking at everyone who like had issues with uh, Film Hub. It's it's difficult. It could be very challenging when it comes to the poster sizing and upscaling footage. That's been most of the challenge for me. Uh, but we passed QC and we're going to be, we're going to have Graves and Hilo 3 on Tubi in December. But mm, it's taken that's... since February. <laughs> Tubi is such an interesting place. Um, I love watching Tubi movies. <laughs> some are really bad. Some are really good. Um, how are you kind of dealing with sort of the requirements for those sorts of things? Are are they different? Do they require different contracts? You know, one of our guests in the past mentioned that, you know, if you are the screenwriter, you need to almost sign a contract with yourself, giving the rights to the director and the film, essentially, that you're allowing all that. Have you had any issues with that sort of the contract side of things? Uh, so, with with the actors, are you saying with the with the with the platform? It, it with the uh, with the platform. Yeah. With the platform, no, I've never had any issues. When I when each actor signs their contract, basically it's included in the contract that I'm going to be putting this on uh, social platforms, and it just helps them. Actually, yeah. it helps them more than anything. So they never usually have any issue with me putting their images or their likenesses on Amazon or Tubi. Uh, in the past, I have had issues with actors, uh, you know, not holding up the end of the bargain. And, uh, you know, those things are dealt with, you know, contracts and litigation and, and yeah, privately. And, you know, but you, you do have those kind of issues. Those things happen. That's why you have contracts, you know. And I tell people, like, they're like, oh, you know, I have my buddy of mine. He wants to be in the film. He's not an actor or an actress. And I tell him straight up, I say, listen, you want to be in the film? They're like, yeah, yeah. They think it's all fun and games until they're doing a scene and it's five hours to do a back and forth dialogue scene. They're like, you know what? This isn't for me. You know, so th- those things, you know, if you're an actor, an actress, 
most of the time they know what it takes. They've been on set. They've been on all these different sets. So they know what's, what's required of them. They know the hours of labor. They know that a scene can take up to five hours to, to do. It's people who come on and think, oh, this, that looks cool. I'll do that. And then they realize, you know what? Hey, I don't want to do it. I know I signed the contract, but and yeah. that's where it kind of gets sticky, you know? Yeah, for sure. Oh, that, that's super interesting. Yeah, I think a lot of people underestimate how long the filmmaking process is, really. Oh, yeah. They Especially see the final product. That, yeah. And they're just like, oh, that's great. I want to do that. And then yeah. they don't realize. Yeah, they're what's like, involved. oh, that looks so cool. And then you realize that just literally two characters talking to each other at a table is going to take, you know, at least three takes each angle plus reaction shots if necessary. And like, oh, man, it just adds up. <laughs> just oh, yeah. adds up. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, I'd love to know sort of some some tips that you have for filmmakers. I know you've kind of uh, added, sprinkled them in as we've been talking so far, but I'd love to know sort of maybe for post-production for filmmakers that have just finished their films, what would you suggest? Nothing has been edited yet. All their footage is now on their hard drives and such. What would you, what, what do you think is sort of the biggest takeaways from your past experience that could help someone in the post-production? The biggest takeaways for me, I'll tell you, is uh, making sure you look through every bit of footage you have. I think the biggest thing that's missed is uh, B-roll. A lot of people need to do pickup shots. They're like, all right, I got to do a lot of B-roll shots. Just make sure when you look at your footage and you're looking through your hard drives that you have all of the transitions. If you have a, a day scene going to a night scene, make sure you have, you know, a time lapse or, you know, you shoot drone footage or you stand outside for B-roll to do a time lapse for night to day and day to night. I think those things are really, really overlooked. And they're yeah. so minor, but it's, it's, it's really something that's really overlooked when you're in post-production. Uh, sound is huge. Uh, a lot of people, this is where I've, I've struggled as well with sound. I use a boom mic and sometimes I should have used a lavalier. The lavalier was better. And I, I used a boom mic and now I got to stack the audio and tell the editor to stack it. And then it does, it sounds a little muffled. And yeah. those are the issues I've run in, in post-production. Uh, what else have I run into? I've run into uh, soundtrack, licensing, music. You know, I try to go on YouTube and get copyright, uh, copyright free music all the time. Sometimes it just doesn't fit. You know, I think music is, is key. I like music for all of my scenes. Yeah. Uh, it's just something I've always done. They're like, you don't, my editor's like, you don't need the music. I'm like, dude, we got to put the music in. It just feels we have to set the tone, you know. I think those things are, are pretty, uh, pretty important, but mostly overlooked. Yeah, for sure. Do you tend to make your own music or hire a musician to be part of it? Or do you sort of try to get existing songs to put into your film? So I use copyright free music. And also I have artists that are part of my cast that are actually musicians. I have Just Once Music. I have Paul Spate. These guys are underground artists here in New York. They are good friends of mine. And I put I try to incorporate underground artists into the independent films. That's that's what we do here at LaSalle Productions. I want the underdog and the guys you didn't hear, you don't even know about, to put them their songs in my film. And I've done that since. I've always always reached out to different independent artists. Hey, listen, I like your work. I would love to put it in my film. They'll usually send me a contract uh, and we'll sign it. It'll be whatever it is the stipulations are. And yeah, so I've worked, I've, I've done that. And I think that's, that's also key because now you've included them and now they're yeah. invested in the film and now they're going to promote your film. Yeah, it works that, that way too. That's right. It does help you with the distribution side of yeah. things too. People will share, oh, yeah. especially if they're part of it, which is why I think sometimes when you have like scenes with a lot of extras, just get a bunch of influencers to chuck in there. 
<laughs> yeah, it'll go, it'll go pretty far. I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Where the can exposure. people find? Uh, yeah, exactly. Where can people find you, Wilfred? And what have you got coming up? So you can find me officially on my website at LaSalleProductions.com. I also have a YouTube channel. If you type in Will and then LaSalle, you just space the L-A space S-A-L-L-E. I'll come up. I also have an IMDb. You can also just Google me. Uh, all my films are on Prime. You got Graves. You got Hilo 2. You got Hilo 3. They're on Prime. And the next film I have coming out next year is called Oculus. The trailer is on my YouTube channel. The next trailer is set to debut in January of next year. It's called Enter the Oculus. That will be the name of the next trailer. This trailer was just called Welcome to the Oculus. It's a sci-fi film, but it's pretty unique. It has three different characters, storylines, and I think the story... It's my first take at going for a sci-fi, horror kind of film. Awesome. I, I think it looks good. You know, I cut my hair for the film. <laughs> I usually have my hair really long. I shave my beard. So I kind of... You know, my fiance is losing her mind here. She's like, you have to, you have to grow your, be your beard back. You look crazy. You're like a firefighter. You look crazy. And I'm like, listen, you know, this is what you do. You just do it. I do it because I love it. I will never ask my actors or actresses to do something that I'm not willing to do myself, whether it's yeah. hanging out of a car with a camera, even the cinematographers. I will always put myself at risk before I put anyone else at risk. But that's where you can find me. Uh, you can just Google me if you want. I'll come up. Uh, I have an Instagram page, LaSalle Productions. I have my regular page, LaSalle, Wolfert LaSalle. And I'll come up. You can add me, follow me. You can Hell DM yeah. me. Yeah, you can email me. Any questions you guys have, uh, we're, in, we're based in New York, uh, but we have actors and actresses from Pennsylvania to Los Angeles to New Orleans to, I mean, we're, we're expanding. I love it. Thank you Thank so you. much, Wilfred, for joining and sharing so much great knowledge. It was awesome. And I can't wait Thank to watch all of your films. I'm definitely going to dive in deep, find all of them, mm -hmm. especially Oculus sounds amazing. I'll put all the links in the show notes. And once again, thank you. This was the Creative Constitution and we'll see you in the next one.